Hey guys, thanks for clicking on today's episode. Although this is a very important episode, I did want to mention that we cover some super sensitive topics surrounding alcoholism, depression, and suicide and recovery. Although I think it's a very important topic to cover and shine light in this industry in case anyone deals with alcoholism or depression or suicide or any of the above. I've listed some links down below for you to go down and check out. Thanks. In construction industry, you have depression and suicide. But yet what we focus on and hey, guilty of it because we need to comply with MOL. So we're going to talk about safety today. What we're not doing is having an open dialogue and an open conversation about mental health, which I mean, is again, it's kind of taboo in our industry or, or as men, you know, you don't want to tell your buddies like, Hey, I'm not feeling it today. You know what I mean? And, and another aspect to it is like, nobody wants to be that dude when everyone else is cracking a cold one to be like, nah, not me guys. Cause it's hard to say that. No. Welcome back, everybody, to the Con Expo Con Egg podcast. I am your host, as always, Taylor White. This show is brought to you by our good friends over at Komatsu, unreal machinery, unreal people for helping us out with the podcast here today. I have somebody that I'm really looking forward to chatting with. When I first was in business, the first thing I ever started doing was selling topsoil. One of my first clients, if not the first clients, was a guy named Dennis Cashman, who owned a company called Stone Etc. He's here in Ottawa as well, too. And he's got a lot going on, a lot of cool things. He started a business. So, Dennis, I'm super pumped to have you on the podcast here today, man. This is a great opportunity to be here and looking forward to our time together. Well, I haven't been the last time because I think I was talking to... So, you have a partner, right? Uh, Ray. Raymond, yeah. Cause, so, then he kind of looks after, I guess, the landscaping side of it and you're more the masonry side of it? Yeah, exactly. So, we've structured our business into... Two divisions, really, where we share some employees. We share the universal goal of providing a good product for our clients, but also having two owners that each specialize in their own field. By doing that, we can give our clients what they need in kind of one big package almost, right? Instead of having to do this guy for that guy and this guy for that guy, right? I'm sure you see it all the time. It's you can shop with one person. It's way better, right? hundred percent. You're dead on with that. I never actually had the chance to ask you, like, how did you guys start your business? Like, how, where did that kind of stem from? What were you doing before Stone, etc.? Bit of history on me. So I've been in the masonry industry now for, started when I was 17, I'll be 33 in a month. So about 16 years, somewhere around there. I got a co-op right out of high school with this company and I did my co-op stint. It was winter masonry. It sucked. <laughs> But somehow I fell in love. I hear that. I fell in love with the trade. And you know what? They offered me a full-time gig. So I put 10 years there. I worked my way up from a laborer to journeyman to a foreman. You know, that's where I met Ray. So he was at the same company for eight years. And kind of similar story to him. You know, he started off on the interlock crew and he worked his way up to the point where he was running a crew as well. And so we never really worked together. But we partied together a lot at the shop. <laughs> so that's where our relationship kind of linked up. And we just both got to a point where, you know, we started doing side jobs together. He helped me. I helped him. And it just it clicked. And so in April 2018, we made the jump and uh, started Stone, etc. No way. Was that the first year that I started 
In 2018, was that when I first brought soil to you guys? Was that your first year of business? Was- you were doing that massive place here in Carp. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The big place on the double lot there in Carp. Yeah. Ray and the guys are actually there right now doing a bunch of, uh, they're re-sweeping re and re-sanding the whole property so that the client can seal it now that all the efflorescence has worked its way out of the product. So they've been there for about a week on their hands and knees, just scraping and pressure washing. <laughs> <laughs> That's unbelievable. All the fill, you guys getting around that corner and yeah, <laughs> you spent a lot of time there. Yeah, we for sure did. Yeah. And yeah, like I said, you were the first client we ever had. It was interesting when you mentioned about co-op, you had co-op during high school or just out of high school? My last semester of grade 12 was a full day co-op. Okay. That's to me is really cool. So right now we have two co-op students working with us right now that work through West Carlton. And I think that that's super important course to be able to do. I mean, both young men are, you know, it gives them the opportunity to understand like, okay, is this something that I want to go into? Is this not something that I want to go into? Figure out whether they like it or they don't like it. I kind of had the same feeling going into it, right? It's, I always wanted to do interlock and I had no idea what masonry was, but it being winter time, those were my options, right? So the goal actually was, work with the Masons for a couple months. And when May comes around, get with the interlock crew. And you know what? Trying the trade, I fell in love with it. And that's where my career and my life took me. It was a great opportunity to get in there. And you know, the great group of guys that I, that trained me, right? I still have a good relationship with all of the brothers and they even paid me for my co-op. So it was awesome doing that full day co-op, right? It gave me the opportunity to try something that I didn't know. And actually it, it geared me into the career that I'm on now full time. Yeah. It gives them the opportunity to be able to figure out, is this something that we like doing or is this something that we don't like doing? I mean, obviously in your position, it worked out very well because now you're running your own business and you and Ray are both business partners in on this, making it happen of it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the partnership so far has been awesome. So that eight years prior to, right, you really get to know a guy especially working for someone else. <laughs> so so how did you guys kind of come about finding each other and finding the team that you have now and other guys? And like, do you find it difficult to find the guys, especially doing masonry? I mean, you do masonry. I'm sure you struggle trying to find people to do it. Because like you said, doing masonry in the winter time generally isn't the best thing. It, we're definitely a special breed. Connecting with Ray, I mean, just through working and after hours at the shop with the other company, right? We got to click. And then when we first went out on our own, one of the employees from that other company ended up uh, following us. And so we were a three man crew at the start. You know, we did that for one year. He went on to other things in his life. Since then, we've kind of gone through (laughs) kind of a sea of people, you know, just trying to recruit through Indeed and other job hosting formats, right? But we ended up seeing a turnaround from some of the other employees from that original company who had gone on to do their own thing. They went different career paths and they ended up reaching back out to us, you know, two, three years after us being in business saying, hey, are you guys hiring? And we were in a position where we could expand and we can bring them in. So not only did it benefit us because we knew who we were getting and we knew their work experience, we knew what they were like, we knew what to expect, we knew what we could work with, but they also knew us on more of a one-on-one level as well because there's two sides of the coin, right? You got the employer who's looking for the best employee, but you've also got that employee who, you know, there's t- tons of people looking for workers right now. So 
So we've actually been super, super blessed. We've on the masonry side, I've had one of the guys actually trained seven, eight years ago. He went and did his own thing for a bit. Now he's been with me three years full time. He's on the job site right now by himself, you know, and I can trust that what's being done is going to be done right. And then I have an apprentice right now, too, which, you know, once again, Algonquin College reached out to me and they said, hey, we got this program. We got these apprentices. Do you have room for some? And it's absolutely. And I took two on. One of them didn't really last. He didn't enjoy the trade. But this other guy, he's going on two years with us now and he's going in October to do his level two. So having that opportunity with the college has been very, very helpful. Of course, <laughs> I could always expand and I've tried to, but the pool of guys is it's so limited in this town. So yeah, hundred percent. Uh, we're happy with the three man crew that we are. We have a really good dynamic. We get jobs done. You know, I don't have to go looking for too much work. I work for five, six builders within Ottawa, good builders, and they don't go shopping around either. So that relationship I have with them, it's amazing. That's exactly it. And I say the same thing as well, too. I mean, when people talk about, you know, are you guys busy? And like, we have a set number of custom home builders that we work for, and we've built relationships with them, just like you're talking about over the years, so that we know that if they're doing a home, we're going to be doing the work. And they know that the work that we're going to provide for them is good work because we treat them fair and we give them a really good product. But it's interesting, like when you mentioned the apprentice guys, like retaining employees is super hard. I mean, this year we're 23, 24 people out there. You know, we try to do certain stuff, you know, like KWC camp days and, you know, barbecues, Canada Day stuff. And I genuinely love doing that stuff because I love having a good time with everybody on the team. But is there something like, you know, when you have an apprentice come from college so that he doesn't completely just dislike the industry? Like, do you try to do anything extra to be like, okay, like, yeah, like this day might be like this, but also like this is the reward. You know what I mean? I can relate that to my own experience and not so much from a, well, there's a financial component to it, of course. 100%. When you're getting into masonry, and this is somewhat specific to, well, it might be specific to other industries as well, but I'll use masonry as as an example. The guys who are in school who just spent 12, 16 weeks at this training program, they got to play with mortar. They got to touch bricks, right? They had a trowel in their hand. And then they come out to the real world. Reality hits in. You're going to set up scaffold. You're going to make cement. You're going to load brick. And that's the end of it. Where my company is structured and the work that we do, I like to put in the extra effort of giving these new people the opportunity to get me set up, get my lead hand set up, and then kind of drill into them that if you do this, the opportunity is there for you to go over there in the corner and actually pick up a trowel and build something on this home. I feel like that's an opportunity that not a lot of people get. You have to be in a pretty niche company in a pretty niche area for that to happen. Otherwise, you can get stuck in this slump where you're a laborer for five years, seven years, eight years, and you want it to be a mason. And so I've given this new guy this opportunity and he's jumped on it and he's super, super eager to learn the trade, learn about different products and actually become a mason rather than just have this job he doesn't look forward to waking up and going to every day, right? Because he never knows what I'm going to throw him on. And it might be, hey, get in those rafters, but he's laying block. So (laughs) 
it's better than making mud and just being on the ground, right? It's interesting. Yeah. You're starting at the bottom of the totem pole, I guess, sort of say, and you're doing all that kind of work and not necessarily being the artist that's, you know, painting this. I'm using the word painting, but you know, you're painting your mural on the wall, right? You're laying it bricks, you're doing it, but it's kind of like in construction when you start on the shovel, you know, hand shovel and you work your way up to an excavator. You got to show initiative and wanting to be there. You got to love what you do essentially, right? Because if you don't love it and see the long game in it, you won't kind of succeed at it. That's exactly it, right? I was put in that position where I showed interest and people trusted me. So that's how I moved up so fast in my career. You know, I try to do the same thing with these guys because the other thing is, and you know this, time is money. Training guys costs a lot of time and a lot of money. If I'm putting, you know, all this time in and someone's just here for just for a paycheck and just to, it's not going to work. I want to see progress. I want to maybe be at a point where these people could run a crew and there's expansion, right? Because then it gives me the opportunity to trust lead hand A and lead hand B and then find people for under them. And that's how I see growth within my company. It all starts with being able to one, produce, but two, trust. And whenever there's problems, you know, I make sure people are around because that troubleshooting, six eyes are better than just mine, right? (laughs) And it's sometimes hard to swallow that pride, but sometimes my ideas aren't the greatest. And it takes the other two guys with less experience than me to to tell me that, you know, we learn a lot from each other. So masonry is one of those things where, I mean, it's a physically demanding work. And obviously up until recently, so I remember Dennis, I actually explained it to my wife because when I was like, I want to get Dennis on the podcast and for everyone listening, I was, you know, saw you, you know, like, I think we're on Snapchat together and, you know, I'd see your Snapchat stories, you know, and you'd be snowmobiling or doing something. And then all of a sudden I feel like it kind of just went quiet for a bit. And then up until recently, for everyone listening, I saw Dennis on Facebook and he did a freaking triathlon. I mean, your job is obviously very physically demanding, but when I saw that, I'm like, okay, like you went from doing, you know, one thing and now you're doing completely the other thing. And to also manage and do that within owning a business, to me, that was super impressive. What was the reasoning behind, I guess, kind of like getting the triathlons and and you're signed up for a bunch more races and stuff now and share that kind of side of your life. Cause I know that we were talking, you know, a little bit over text and if that's something that you want to share. I would love to hear that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for asking. Yeah. So yeah, I did my first triathlon in, I think it was August as the Canadian hosted by Somersault down at Mooney's Bay. And, uh, yeah, it was an awesome experience. You know, I, well, June or July of this year, I tried to do some open water swimming and, you know, I made a 50, 70 meters and had to turn around. What a wake up call, because to me, I'm looking at it, like you said, you know, always lifting stuff and climbing stuff, right? I'd done those Spartan races before in my past years and years and years ago. And it's just get in the water and I hit a wall. So it made me realize that there's so much more to learn in life and with my body. It pushed me to want to progress. The journey prior to that, I was, geez, when was it? Well, probably around 2018, I would say is when I started to get into, you know, a lot of the power sports toys and stuff like that. With that kind of lifestyle came a lot of drinking, right? And partying and hanging out with people. And, you know, one thing led to another. And I had found I had kind of lost control of my life. I wasn't necessarily happy anymore. In March of 2022, I got pulled over. You know, I got a DUI and I was out of town working. 
it was a huge, 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 huge wake up call for me to, I got to do something with my life, right? I got to change something. And prior to that, there had been many, many, many other experiences where, you know, I was lucky to make it home. I had been pulled over for impaired driving 2019, blew in the warning range, which is a minor license suspension and a slap on the wrist. And the best my thinking could do with that to resolve that issue was to switch to non-alcoholic beers while driving. That's where this brain took me as the solution. (laughs) Wow. And that only lasted a few months, obviously, because I was back to where I was, if not worse, you know, it finally caught up to me again in, in March of 2022. So I took the bulk of that year, found a really good support group. You know, I was able to look at my life and identify my problems. I was able to recover from this, you know, seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. You know, my relationship was going down the shitter. Was I giving it my all at work? I don't know. I still had a job. I still had things lined up, but I was going home and just doing the same thing over and over again, right? Just drinking, you know, I was stuck in this loop. And so when I met these people and when I recovered, I met this new friend of mine. She found out I did those Spartan runs in 2014 and 2015. And that was kind of before I really started drinking heavy. She invited me with one of her friends to uh, Wolf Trail in Gatineau Park. So we went on a hike and it's like, man, this is a lot of fun. So then two days later, she invited me out for a mobility class. What a wake up call that was contorting my body into ways I didn't think it could move and watching other people do it with such ease. And from there, it kind of just streamlined into, I thought I was in shape. I thought I was, you know, doing good. And you might hear hear me say it a couple times today. It's like, there's so much more to learn and there's so much more room to grow. I started going to this gym. It's a place in Canada Lakes, Positive Movement Fitness. It's an amazing little spot. The owner, Dusty, I see him three times a week now. We do small group fitness twice a week and personal training once a week. That's geared me up to get into this lifestyle of I want to be better, not only physically, but mentally with my training partner. You know, we go on runs two, three times a week now. She's signed up for almost every race that I'm signed up for. I think we got 10 or 11 of them on the board next year. (laughs) A combination of triathlons and, uh, marathons, obstacle course races, you know, you name it. It all incorporates all these different aspects of the body that are just so amazing. And you really get to see where you can push yourself. First of all, I mean, thank you for sharing that, dude. I mean, that is unreal. I mean, I think that, and I definitely know that there's people listening, you know, and even gets my brain going as well, too, because in this industry in construction, It is so self-wrapped around, and I'm sure there's other industries like it, but I can speak just from construction. You know, so many things revolve around alcohol. You know, you do have those conversations with yourself sometimes. Maybe some people don't that, okay, maybe this is becoming a little too much. Maybe I'm doing too much. So like, it's kind of, I guess, a really good thing that you got to the point where you're like, okay, like this is the point where I'm going to change. And like the fact that you push that into like, okay, now I want to like, I want to see how far I can push myself. I want to see how far I can push my mind and my body. You mentioned like you're never done learning. Like that is super admirable that you're dedicated to just learning, which I think is very key and important when you do say that, because like you said, it was your 30th birthday and like, here you are 30 years old in a month and you're not done learning. 
you're opening this next new big chapter of your life, which is super, super important. And hearing your story motivates me to even like push myself even further. The physical and and the mental, like how do you push yourself like mentally? How are you pushing yourself out of that? And is staying and doing this routine kind of keeping you in the mindset of like, I'm not going back to what I'm doing then, to what I was doing then. This is me now and this is the path that I'm on. You hear all the time of people with addiction problems and who are in recovery, right? And they're good for a little bit and then they might relapse and that relapse might be their last. They could die. When I was nearing the end of my drinking, thoughts of suicide were very, very high on my list. It's not something I'm proud of, but it's something that I need to talk about because when driving in oncoming traffic seems like the best way out, something needs to change. The best way I can describe it is to fight that physical and that mental, right? My best thinking got me to where I was. That got me into the lowest spot I've ever been in my life. However, I needed to get there. I needed to find a bottom to have hope. I needed to have some sort of hopelessness to see hope in others, to see hope in something else and to see hope in life. And so today I ground all my thinking into, I'll call it the spirit of the universe. I don't drive the bus anymore. I let the things around me, the things I can't control, which is not very much in life. I don't have much control over anything that goes on around me. But today I have the ability to step back and I have the ability to control how I'm going to react. I've been super blessed with the ability to do that. And that doesn't come from me. That comes from lots of meditation, lots of praying, and just getting out of myself and interacting with other people who are like-minded who have gone through similar experiences that I have. I now have kind of this two-part recovery that I live today, maybe three-part, right? I've got a fellowship. I've got a network of people that I can call at any time of the night That's awesome. or day. If there's anything going on, I can talk to them about it. That's something I never did. Men don't like to talk about their emotions. It's something that needs to be done for me anyways. I've got those people in my life, but I've also got this power inside of me that's with me all the time that I can also rely on, where I'm not the one driving the bus anymore. I'm not the be all and end all anymore. I used to think that way. With the combination of those two things, I'm able to reevaluate what my life looks like today and where I want to take it. I look at my recovery and there's three essentials to my recovery. There's honesty, there's open-mindedness, and there's willingness. And without those three things, I could have never changed. With those three things, I've been able to adapt this new lifestyle, these new ideas, these new motives. Now I wake up and love and tolerance is my code. I want to put more into the stream of life today than I take from it. It never used to be that way before. I was a very selfish individual. What can I do? Where can I excel? What can I do to get me on top? That was me running the show, plain and simple. It got me drunk. It got me in trouble. It was slowly destroying the relationship I had with my wife, who I've been with for 14 and a half years. She's seen me not drink, be at, we'll call my best, and then just slowly rock it down, right? And so now we're to a point where it's almost like I'm dating her again because I care about stuff that I do with her, right? It's 
You know, we went apple picking a few weeks ago. You know, we spend time together. We go for walks. We cook together. But you could probably count on one hand the amount of times I did that in the last five years before I sobered up, right? It's sad to say, but like I said, these things had to happen for me to realize what truly matters in my life and what what matters in my life today. So I, I'm super fortunate that she stuck around, right? Because I was just going to say that she's a stronger woman uh, <laughs> than me. Like it's, it's, it's incredible. I love her to death. I appreciate all the honesty and openness. And I think it's because you realize like the severity and obviously that you do understand that there are other guys, you know, out there people that are going through this. But one thing that you mentioned that I think is really important is that like you mentioned, you know, kind of like, you know, in construction industry, you have depression and, and, you know, suicide. And, and actually the statistics of like last year in construction, the amount of people that died by suicide versus died by a construction site accident. It's like 2000 people in a construction accident, like 5,000 suicide. But yet what we focus on and hey, guilty of it is like, because we need to comply with MOL. So we're going to talk about safety today. What we're not doing is having an open dialogue and an open conversation about mental health, which is, again, it's kind of taboo in our industry or as men, you know, you don't want to tell your buddies like, hey, I'm not feeling it today. You know what I mean? And and another aspect to it is like, nobody wants to be that dude when everyone else is cracking a cold one to be like, nah, not me, guys, because it's hard to say that no. And I'm sure that that's even when I'm saying something, you're probably like, well, dude, then those aren't your friends. But yeah, I mean, there's just so many thoughts. I mean, that that run through your head when you're talking. But I got to say, it's so admirable dude, the way that you're talking and thinking like what got you into thinking like this? And you're saying you're doing meditation and all this stuff. Like, it's very impressive the way that you're thinking, like how your brain is working now, driving the bus and, and everything is just super interesting. I've been super blessed to have. I'll call them mentors, spiritual mentors around me. Because when I first sobered up, you know, step one is admitting you have a problem with any substance. For me, it was alcohol. When I look at alcohol and when I look at what it is to be alcoholic, it has two parts to it. It has a physical part and it has a mental part. The simplest way it can be put is I'm an abnormal drinker and I can't drink like the normal person. And the normal person is someone who can get home from work, have a half a glass of wine, make supper, maybe finish that glass, watch TV and go to bed. That's not me. As soon as I crack that first beer, there's something in my body, something happens and I just want more and I want more and I want more. And I don't stop until it's either all gone or I'm passed out. When I am stopped, it is incredibly difficult for me to stay stopped because I'm always looking for that next drink because I'm irritable, I'm discontent, and I'm restless. So I'm looking for that sense of ease and comfort that comes with that drink. You get some people say, well, I like the taste. Well, it's I like the taste of Pepsi, but I don't grab a 12-pack of Pepsi and just chug the whole thing down, right? It's something more than the taste. It does something to me. I'm looking for oblivion. So when I look at that and I've got that mental problem, well, the real problem with the alcoholic is that it centers in the mind rather than the body. Because I have a body that doesn't allow me to drink safely, but I have a mind that tells me I can't. So for me to recover, I've got to fix what's up here, not with the body that I can't change. Through understanding that and believing it today, this is where that connection with those spiritual mentors 
and that connection with a power greater than myself have been those two key elements in being able to live a life today where I can see the joy and the happiness in almost everything I do. Yeah, there's still bad days, but I don't react like that anymore. I've been given the gift of being able to step back and look at a problem and deal with it, not necessarily how I want to deal with it, but how it should be dealt with. Putting that to words and actually living it are two different things, but it's one of those things where it's hard at first. And absolutely, you're talking about people around you and cracking beers and this and this. I had to disconnect myself with so many people at the start for that first year because temptation was always there. Yes. And <laughs> right. And so it took some time. There were sacrifices that I did have to make. But with that, I've been able to build this spiritual barrier, this insurance that as long as I keep doing the next right thing, I'm that much further away from picking up another drink. Because I truly believe today that if I pick up just one drink, it very well could be my last. And again, not because I'll quit again, because I may end up with 9, 10, 11, 12, and then drive home and end up in a ditch in a telephone pole. That's just not how I want to live today. One thing stood out that I, I want to ask you on is when you say like, you know, like there's a power greater than myself, like, is that God or is that something? I'll sometimes refer to it as God, but it's a God of my own understanding. When we talk about religious views, I wouldn't necessarily consider myself a religious man. I did go to Catholic high school, but my father, if I had to describe him, would probably be atheist. And my mother was a Scientologist for a while, and now I don't know what she is. So I had a very confusing upbringing. Scientology is, yeah. <laughs> and you know what? To each his own, right? No, 100%. So for me to seek this power, this spirit, given the person that I was, today I still look at as this is insane. What's going on, right? But at the end of the day, bottom line, I was powerless over alcohol. Therefore, I needed a power. And before that power was me. Today, that power isn't me. I see it in the coincidences that happen in my life. And I'm, I'll say the coincidences with the capital C because there are so many events that happen where it's like, huh, how did that happen? Why did this, this, this happen, which led me to be here, which led me to meet this person, which led me to say that? I look at all these things going on in my life and it's way, way, way bigger than me. And there has to be something else out there. What that is, I don't know. But I know that today I'm joyful. I'm peaceful. I have serenity in my life. And before, you know, it was chaos, it was darkness, and I was in charge. When I look at those two things, I'm on this journey now to keep understanding and keep growing within this spirituality. And I can only do that with those three elements, right? That open-mindedness, that willingness. And from there, every day, something new can happen. Anything can happen. The fact that I woke up one day and said, I need help. If I had to foreshadow that five years ago, if you asked me, where would you see yourself in five years? Definitely wouldn't say on a podcast sober talking about recovery, right? <laughs> and, and these are just the little miracles in my life that I look forward to today. That's how I view this power that's greater than me. It's not necessarily this being of a man that I get on my hands and knees and I worship, but it's so much more than that. It's the people around me, the birds, the animals. And just the way I choose to react to it now, 
because I have that choice today. I'm on this ever, 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 everlasting journey now to just keep growing this connection with this power. It keeps life very exciting. <laughs> First of all, it's beautiful. I mean, I'm going to be sitting in bed tonight, like just sitting there thinking about how the way that you're talking is mind blowing, Dennis. Like, I'm very, very impressed, my friend. The connection. So whenever you decided to get sober and now you're doing all these positive changes, you're working out mentally and physically, you're you're learning and you're getting better. And have you noticed a correlation between like, is business better or is it better being at work? Like, what's the relationship now with like your business, your career and then your personal life? Because were the two kind of blurred before or is it now two separate things? Are they affected better in a positive way or not? now? Definitely a positive way. My life even before. So in the 16 years I've been in this industry, I was, we'll say, working six and a half days a week for the first 14 years of it. Alcoholic, workaholic. A lot of them, <laughs> they, they come hand in hand. Recovery has allowed me to want to live life and appreciate life so much more. I can count on one hand the amount of weekends I've worked this year. And for the people that know me, that's incredible, right? You were always yeah, I, working weekends. <laughs> Your stories, <laughs> like we're just yeah. always you working on the weekends all the time. Yep. Yep. And you know what? Learning to say no. There's tons of work out there. I could still be working seven days a week right now. I've learned to be okay with the fact that work's going to take place between Monday and Friday, and it's still going to be there on Monday. And whether I work on Saturday and Sunday, destroy my body, destroy my relationship, it's not going to make a difference. I'm just making other people happy and putting more money in the bank and giving more money to the government. And it's just for what? I have a roof over my head. My bills are paid. My employees have their paychecks every two weeks. I can do pretty much whatever I want comfortably. I live a pretty simple lifestyle, so I don't need much. It's opened up this world of there's so much more to life. And I can actually say yes to all these new friends I have now to going out on and, you know, running 30, 40 K on a Saturday and then going and sitting in a hot tub or doing cold plunges or doing some yoga. And I never thought I'd be one of those people who dreaded Mondays, but I've turned into that guy now because Sunday comes and it's like, oh man, it's already Monday again, right? <laughs> yeah. You know what? Business is good. I've got work Monday to Friday all the time. Like what more could you ask for really? Has it changed your leadership role at your company? Like a lot of entrepreneurs, they drive their businesses and their strength from being good leaders. And if you're bringing on some new people or even the people that you're working with, has it changed your relationships or your style of being, you know, an owner of the business? I definitely think it has. I mean, I used to definitely put a lot of stress on making sure jobs were finished within a certain time, right? Because we had to be here for Monday. You know, I told so-and-so we'd be here. There'd always be this push where it's like, ah, we got to get this done. We got to get this done. Who wants to work the weekend, right? And whether it was forced or not, I don't know. But, you know, even working through lunches and the guys watching me do that and it's like, oh, you know, where's he getting ahead, right? He's just in this never-ending cycle of you're always going to be behind. But I couldn't get that through this thick skull. And so now I get to have that one-on-one -on -one time with the guys on lunch as well, right? We're more relaxed. If somebody's got a funny YouTube video that they saw, we're not waiting till break, right? We're just, hey, check this out. And it's just, it's super, super low key, super relaxed. My stuff's priced so that I don't have to hit every single dollar for every single minute. Otherwise, people are starving. And 
I love the way that is now because it just, I like the idea of coming to work in a relaxed environment and I want the guys to feel the same way or to feel like if they want to take two days off for something or if they want, I mean, me and my lead hand, we're going swimming two days a week now in the mornings, right? So Tuesdays and Thursdays, we're usually not getting to site till 8, 39 o'clock and uh, that's okay. I've built that in to the schedule and, you know, life is awesome. <laughs> Man, I, oh, you give me goosebumps. That is awesome. I really respect that, Dennis. That is unbelievable. That is awesome. The fact that you're like making the time to actually go and do that and saying like, hey, this is my life and like I'm doing this and I'm building it into my work and I don't care that I'm not there at 6.30 a.m. right now because I need to go and do this for my mind and my body. Is there any advice that you would give somebody that needs advice to kind of get out and start this journey that you kind of like took yourself on this new chapter of life? The biggest thing, well, two things, I guess. One, if you want to put my name and my phone number in the comments section, if anybody has any questions. That's big, dude. They can absolutely feel free to call me or reach out or send me a text or whatever, and I'll get back to them. I live my life today trying to help others. So if I can do that for someone who has any sort of question regarding their workaholism or their alcoholism or problem drinking or anything like that, by all means, please reach out. The other thing is, is, is alcohol a problem in your life? I don't know. Only you can tell me that, right? Only you can tell yourself that. What I can say is, you know, if you want to test yourself, try and do some controlled drinking. Try and go to the bar or at home and just have two. If you can do that consistently, you probably don't have a problem with alcohol. But if you can only do it for a week, for a month, for six weeks, and then all of a sudden you're back into just pint after pint after pint, then you probably have a problem with alcohol. And if you want to change, if you have that willingness, if you have that honesty, if you have that open-mindedness to new ideas, there is a place for you. There are support groups out there that are out to help people like I was. But I can't stress those three things enough, right? Because I'm not the same person today that I was, you know, 570 days ago, however long it was. I'm just not. All my motives, all my old ideas, you know, they were cast to one side and a new set of motives and ideas now dominate my life. You know, I can only speak for myself, but I'm much happier with the man I am today. It all started with admitting I had a problem and asking for help. You know, it was one of the hardest things I had to do, but to surrender for me meant the ability to grow and succeed. I'm happy you're talking to the man that you are today, Dennis. I want thank you for sharing your story and everything, man. That is unbelievable. I think a lot of people can pull a lot of value out of just hearing you speak. I'll put your information down below. And if everybody, you know, needs to reach out, then by all means, do that. Dennis, thank you very much for coming on the podcast today, dude. I appreciate it. I know that you got training at four o'clock, so let's hopefully get you to do that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. Thank you. Thanks, Dennis. Everybody, thank you for listening to the podcast brought to you by our good friends over at Komatsu. We'll catch you guys on the next one. Take care. Thanks, Dennis. Thank you.